That's an interesting passage and one that's uh, very instructive to us in terms of the way in which we're to live, things that we're going to put off, things that we should put on. But in that there are some key statements and one of them I just want to draw to your attention, one you probably know well. But it's a very confusing world to live in, isn't it? Isn't life really very, very difficult to work out what's right, what's wrong? Uh, we have to walk very circumspectly, very carefully what we say. Uh, we need to hold our good faith, we need to hold on to our honesty, our integrity. And uh, doing everything in love is what we've just heard that we should be doing. And being ready to forgive is part of that package. And Colossians 3 is fascinating because the first seven verses tell us the things that we've got to put to death. They're not to be part of our living. They're not to be part of our being. Because sin is not your friend. Sin is your vital enemy. And every time we're tempted to say, well, this is good for me, but it's not right, we're making sin our friend. And sin is never, ever our friend. And so therefore the things that we must put to death, need to put to death our old life. And then the verses 8 and 9 tell us what we're to put off, old sins that bound us. Why on earth would we keep going on with things that bind us, things that we say are our friends, but actually they're never going to let us free. They're always going to tie us down. And then from there on in, verses 10 to 25, there are things that we need to put on. Put on. <laughs> I don't know about you, I'm not great at choosing what clothes to put on in the morning. I haven't got much choice, but nevertheless, whatever I have, what's the best choice? So I put them out at night now, so I don't have to think about it in the morning. And, uh, and that's soon to me okay, but every morning we should be putting on things. Things that we've... We don't put on the things we've taken off, that we've died to, or the sins that gripped us in the past. We're putting on these wonderful things that we read about in this passage. But in the middle of all this, there's a verse that really is fascinating. Verse 13. Just have a look what he says. In verse 13, Paul says, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so also, so you also must forgive. There's no messing around there. Here is Paul saying you must forgive. Isn't this amazing? This is the Paul who hated Christians, who put to death Christians, who delighted when Christians were damaged, flogged. Any damage was done to the Christian faith and to churches. He was just there to be delighted. But now... To Christians who he's treated in such a terrible way, he's saying, forgive. And what's amazing is, he has been forgiven by brothers and sisters who he knew were Christians and loved him, loved the Lord Jesus. And so he's, he's telling us to bear with one another, to forgive one another. And he's saying, you also must forgive. And I just want to focus on that passage, that part of the passage this evening, forgiving. If uh, in 2018, President Putin was asked a very important question in an interview. Here was the question, can you forgive? I wonder what you think his answer was. Well, his famous answer was this, 
I can forgive, but not everything. <laughs> I can forgive, but not everything. So if I were to ask you that question, what about you? What about me? Can you forgive? What answer might you give? Here's a few answers that I've heard in the past. I can forgive, but I can't forget. Or, forgive? Never. Never. If you knew what I've been through, you would never ask the question to me. How could you ever ask that question to me if you only knew what I've been through? Or, I can't forgive unless they've asked forgiveness from me. If they ask forgiveness from me, well, I, I might well forgive, but not unless they ask. Or, I can't forgive. I want justice. I want justice to, to rule, not forgiveness. If you're forgiving, you're more or less letting people get away with what they've done. I can't forgive, nor can you. I do it like, I think it's like giving free license for sin to abound. How about you? How about me? Can you forgive? Are you ready to forgive? When we do beach missions and sometimes in the open air, when we were once when we were at Neath, in these Neath in the uh, in the fair in the outreach, we put a question of the day up and put all sorts of questions of the day up. But one of the questions we put up for the day, and hope that people will stop and discuss, they get a chance that they put a red ball in that they disagree. They put a green ball in if they agree, and they put a yellow ball in if they're not sure. So then you collect all the balls through the day. And the question that we asked was this, is it easy to forgive? Is it easy to forgive? And the number of conversations we had about that was just amazing. People engaging in conversation, is it easy to forgive? To say that the red balls had it, it's not easy to forgive. In fact, it's extremely difficult to forgive. What do you do when someone crosses you? Today's world amplifies anything that's done that's against this particular group or these particular people. It's blown out of all proportion into social media and forgiveness is not, in, not just uh, difficult, it's well nigh impossible. Why? Because you're basically put into a group. You are this or you're that. You may only say it once. You might even think it was a mistake to say it, but then they You've heard, and you're classified, and you're labelled for life. That's what you are. And there's going to be no forgiveness because you are one of these people who do these grievously horrible things. Society is not good at forgiving. It seems uh, to be a very hostile environment. And sadly, and amazingly, Christians can be part of that tragic environment. I will not forgive. But what is Paul saying? He's, Paul is saying this, you must forgive. You need to be ready to forgive. That's the lifestyle. This is what you put on. You put on the lifestyle of forgiveness. 
Now I can almost hear some of the discussion and the thoughts. <laughs> Are you raving mad? Is this really true? But that hymn said it all, really. In fact, I could sit down now and say, sing the hymn again, and that's pretty well covers everything I want to say tonight. But here's a few things. What does the Word of God say? Well, from Paul, once this dangerous enemy, once the, uh, the person who was... Uh, was hated by Christians and feared by Christians, what happens? He's now got mates, close mates, people who love him and who he loves. Timothy, Apollos, Stephanus, Priscilla and Aquila and so many others. And he names them as people who are close to him. What have they gone through to have him as a friend? What have they gone through to have him as a brother and a partner? They must have gone through forgiveness. They must have gone through... And you think... In our today's society, even amongst other some Christians, to do what he's done and to forgive him? That's just amazing. Well, forgiving. We've read it there, and it's very clear, verse 13. Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. What about the Lord Jesus? What has he said? Well, we're going to look at a, a parable in a moment. But at the end of the parable that we're going to look at in Matthew chapter 18... It's the parable of the unforgiving son, and we'll look at that in a moment. Servant, sorry, we'll look at that in a moment. In verse 35, this is what the Lord Jesus says. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother. Well, that's challenging, isn't it? But listen what he says. Where do you forgive? From your heart <laughs> we had three sons it didn't always go well <laughs> and there were times when we had a little bit of a clash here and there and of course you say now say sorry sorry now forgive him you're forgiven I don't think that was quite from the heart and we've all been there haven't we but this is what, what uh, Jesus is saying it's a matter just not just for the head. It's for your heart. And that's what the Lord Jesus wants from you. And he wants from me. It's amplified again in Matthew chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer. Um, and you know what's said there in that passage. And Jesus saying, but if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. This is deadly serious stuff. And so Jesus is saying, we want just for, to forgive, but we're to give, forgive from the heart and really mean it. Now, if you were to say, well, where does the Lord Jesus give teaching on forgiveness? Then it's quite interesting that it isn't in a treatise. It isn't in a set of dogma. The most teaching that Jesus does on forgiveness is through a story, through a parable. And the parable is, uh, is quite clear. Uh, and it all happens in Matthew chapter 18. And it happens after Peter asks a question. And Peter's question is this. How many times shall I forgive my brother? How many times? Who's the person who sins against me? Up to seven times? He says, it's my brother or sister. Okay, so... Seven times, which was a lot more than the Jews might think. They might think three times, but this is seven times. And what does Jesus say? 
Not seven times. Seventy times seven. Someone, a chap called R.T. France, once said, if you're still counting, you're not forgiving. <laughs> if you're still counting, I've forgiven you ten times today, <laughs> then you're not forgiving. It's sort of, I will forgive, but I'm not going to forget. And so the unforgiving servants is the story that we're going to look at now for a few minutes. Uh, you'll know the story, so I'll just go through it with the headlines, but uh, you can pick it up bit by bit. First of all, then, the servant owes a king a huge debt. Now, this is no normal debt. You and I might think a mortgage. You might think two mortgages. We might think, I don't know, some accident in a car. We owe some money for, well, the amount of money being referred to according to the commentaries I've read, is something of the order of three billion, 300 billion pounds. In other words, a colossal amount of money. If you want to sort of have a picture of what it might look like today, think of Birmingham City Council. They owe so much money, they can't repay it. There's no way. It's a colossal amount of money. And this servant owes a debt he cannot pay. It's a colossal debt. It may be that, the, someone said in one of the commentaries I read, that, uh, that the, uh, the servant is actually in charge of an area, like a county or a, or a, um, uh, a country. So that's the picture. The servant owes a debt they cannot pay. It's effectively an infinite debt, immeasurable in virtually every way. And the king simply challenges the servant to repay. So that's okay. We'd expect the king to do such a thing. And what happens? The servant falls on his knees. He pleads for mercy, pleads for time to repay. And he says he'll repay everything, which, of course, objectively is impossible. But he's on his knees. He's pleading, pleading for mercy, pleading for this debt to be cancelled. And you can see that if the king does cancel this debt, it's huge. It's not a trivial thing. This is no small thing to this king. It's going to cost. He can't just write it off. It's so big. And so we have a, a point here where this, uh, this servant cannot repay. But what happens? Well, we read that the king has compassion on the servant. He cares deeply about the servant. His heart is moved towards the servant and the plight of the servant. And then, remarkably, the king releases the servant from the debt. No liability, no more debt to be paid. The debt is forgiven. So note, as the debt is forgiven, it isn't just disappearing into some ethereal um, pond somewhere. It's being taken on board by the king. He is paying the price the servant owes. And so the debt's forgiven. The cost is carried. And incidentally, if you pay, do forgive people, there's a cost. It sometimes hurts. It's sometimes deep. And it's sometimes very, very painful. But nevertheless, 
that's the nature of forgiveness. It costs to forgive and it costs the king to forgive. But here's the wonderful thing, the relationship is restored. Isn't that just wonderful? This debt, this pleading, this forgiveness, and suddenly the servant who was the lowest of the low in his own views, and I guess in terms of the, the whole story, yet suddenly this servant is forgiven and the relationship is restored. Isn't that wonderful? And wouldn't you think that if you're forgiven all that much, <laughs> wouldn't you think that it would just change your heart? Well, that's not quite what happens, is it? The next thing we know is there's a second servant who enters the story. He owes the first servant a few quid, just a few quid. Not a massive amount, just a few quid. And what happens? The second servant, uh, sorry, and the first servant then demands that the debt be paid, just a few quid. And the second servant simply says they can't do it and they plead just as the first servant did for forgiveness of that debt, for the debt to be wiped out. And what does the first servant do? He treats him like muck. He treats him with no care and no compassion. He simply demands that money be paid, a few quid. And he's just been forgiven an infinite amount. The king hears, and if you look at verse 32 to 34 of, uh, of Matthew chapter 18, you'll see the king's reaction to it. And it's not a nice reaction, but it's entirely predictable. Verses 32 to 34. Then the master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. What's he saying? It's the picture, isn't it? Who's the king? It's God himself. Who's the servant? It's you and it's me. What old debt do we owe? Well, we owe a debt to God for all the sin and selfishness and greediness. I mean, if I were to show a video on the screen of your life, of everything you've said, everything you've done, everything you've thought, I'm not sure many of us would be waiting long. However young or however old we are, what we'd see on that screen would be awful because we're self-centered. We are those people who have things that we need to put off. We have at times made sin our friend and it's done terrible things to us. And the debt we owe for all that sin and all that failure is colossal and we can never ever repay it. So we owe God a debt we can never ever pay. And you know sometimes you and I can get like this. We can think, well actually, I, 
I, I don't ask, so to sort of placate God, to make him feel that I'm okay and that I'm trying, sometimes we might say, I'm going to try harder. And maybe God will, will accept me trying harder. Or we might say, I'll try and repay the debt because I'll go to church and I'll, I'll go to the prayer meeting and I'll be a nice person. Or we might say, and we do sometimes, I'm such a debtor, I've made such a mess of my life, I'm going to loathe myself. I'll hate myself. And maybe that will make me in some way have a better status to God. Maybe that will help me to be forgiven more. Or we might even say, I'm going to hate myself. I hate myself for the things I've done. I hate myself for the anger I've got. I hate myself for the things I've said. I hate myself for whatever it might be. And think in some way that that is going to placate God and somehow or other he's going to forgive us because we're hating ourselves just as we think he'll hate our sin. Or we might grovel. But the truth is, however much groveling we might make, our only hope of forgiveness is the one that comes from God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what does this parable do? It tells us the colossal debt you owe and I owe to God. It tells us that there is no other way that we can uh, reach him but to be forgiven. And this unbelievable kindness of God is to send the Lord Jesus to the cross so that you might be forgiven and I might be forgiven, to wipe away our sin. This colossal debt we can never repay. Whatever we try, however much groveling we do, however much self-pity we might have, however much we might say whatever we want to do to try and please God, we'll never do it. We grovel before God, we turn to God and we, we repent. And we ask for forgiveness. And this incredible debt Jesus takes on himself. It's no simple thing to forgive, is it? When Jesus dies, he takes on the punishment you deserve and I deserve. He bears our sin and all the punishment we deserve. The debt that we owe is paid on the cross. And uh, an old friend of mine who uh, used to teach and preach on camps, Dave Oxley, used to say, well, in an old-fashioned uh, shop, an old-fashioned grocer's shop he used to go to, they had a bill and they'd write the bill out. And when the bill was paid, what did they do? <laughs> they took the bill and they rammed it over a, a, a little pin or a, a piece of metal, wire that was sticking up. They'd go right through, paid. Paid, there's the guarantee. The pain is gone, the debt is gone, it's been paid. And Jesus at the cross paid the debt to set us free. And that's the only way we can be forgiven. And once we've been forgiven, how should we respond to other people? Well, we've been forgiven an infinite amount, just like the unforgiving servant. And if we don't forgive people, we're just like the unforgiving servant. What on earth has happened to our heart? People do something wrong to us and we say, hmm, look what they've done. I'm not going to forgive that. I might forgive, but I'll never forget. How awful that is. We've been forgiven everything. Therefore, Jesus says, forgive from the heart and Paul says you must forgive we must always be ready to forgive and it's so important that we uh, we do that so what is forgiveness 
Well, it's hard. That's the first thing. But it's vital we understand it. Someone said this, forgiveness, sorry, unforgiveness is like drinking poison yourself and waiting for the other person to die. Drinking poison yourself and waiting for the other person to die. That's unforgiveness and it's a very real picture. Oh, they said, it's like giving someone free rent in your head, in your head, for the rest of your life. Free rent in your head. I'm not going to forgive. I'm not going to forget either. In verse 24, we see the... Here's some important things about forgiveness. We see the debt is named. There's no messing about this. The truth is spoken. There are no excuses. Jesus, referring to the king and the king, the debt that the servant owes, the debt is named. There's no one messing around with half-truths. You owe this immeasurable debt. This is what you've done wrong. Then verse 27, the king is moved with compassion. It means that instead of waiting for the other person to suffer, as we might sometimes when we are unforgiving, instead of waiting for the other person to suffer, we think of them as persons who are sinners just like us. We're not putting them in a list. You're this type of person. You're this type of sinner. I've heard about you. I know about you. I'm this type of person. No. What he says is, we're the person who knows what sin is, and we're moved with compassion towards the people who've done something towards us. Compassion and care because they're sinners just like us. And, uh, and then what happens in, again in this parable, the debt is forgiven. So the debt is named, with, the king is moved with compassion. This isn't just uh, a matter of uh, uh, the head, it's the heart as well. And then the debt is forgiven, it's cancelled. The king touched the debt on himself. And what does that mean for us? Well, it means that when you forgive, you may well have to suffer. You may well want to refuse to, but the truth is it will cost to forgive. No doubt uh, it's difficult and it costs, but you have to absorb the debt yourself. And of course the truth is for most of us that that's tough. But we give forgiveness. And that may well have to start with your head. It may be, you know, that scripture says I must forgive. I must forgive from my heart, okay. So I will forgive, but it's hard. But you begin with your head, and then step by step, bit by bit, your heart begins to follow. But we have to be confirm what Scripture says, and we must follow it. Our hearts may well follow our heads, but Scripture is telling us, forgive. And then, what happens that he's released? So not only is the, the debt named, nor not just is the king moved with compassion, not just that he releases from his debt, but his relationship is restored. No longer a debtor, a citizen, and a servant. Now, the restoring of relationships is often part of this. And uh, I was speaking to a, a very prominent Christian leader uh, over the summer, 
and he simply said, if we had more forgiveness in our churches, the lots of problems I have to try and sort out in churches would be sorted. But we don't forgive sufficiently. We hold our grudges and we are unforgiving. And so here we can have relationships restored. Again, it may, it may be it begins with a smile. <laughs> it may be it begins with a text. It may be knocking on the door. Do you want to come for a cup of coffee? It may be the smallest of things to begin that healing of a relationship. But it can be healed because that's what God wants. Restored and beautiful relationships. Not unforgiveness that burns and destroys. And, uh, and so we can know that true forgiveness brings restored relationships. However, in all this, there's something really important to pick up. And this is vital for Christians to realize. Because I think we as Christians, maybe we're all part of this to some extent. But sometimes we, we take away justice from forgiveness. But in this case, in this parable of the unforgiving servant, justice is a part of the whole thing. Forgiveness and justice go together. And here's the truth of the matter. There will be times, maybe, when we have to say, I forgive you, but we've got to go to the police. Justice is vital. We're not overlooking this in terms of legal or important issues, safeguarding or whatever else it may be. I might be able to forgive you, but we've got to sort it out with the, with the legal side of this. Justice is a vital part of forgiveness. And so, what is forgiveness? It's naming the debt, naming the problem, being honest about it, not half-truths. It's being moved with compassion for the other person, because they're only sinners just like you and just like me. The debt can be forgiven, as we're instructed to, but it may have to start with our head rather than our heart. And then we restore relationships, or we seek to. And sometimes that might be a lifetime job. It might even never happen in this life. But it's something we seek to do. And then we follow justice. We follow any process that we require legally to deal with this issue. It's an important territory to gain in churches and in life as a whole. So, to forgive is this, not to ignore, excuse, minimize, or tone down the offense, but to be truthful about it. Secondly, to see the other person as a fellow sinner and failure, just like you, just like me. To absorb the debt ourselves, rather than waiting for them to come to harm, because sometimes we do that, you know. We can all be failure in that way. We don't forgive, we sort of wait for something bad to happen to them, physically or emotionally or reputationally, and we almost smile if something bad happens. No, we're to absorb the debt ourselves. And then we're to seek to reconcile relationships. Instead of breaking relationships forever, we seek to bring them together. And that mounts up to real forgiveness. But you might well say to me, I don't know your situations, and I don't know your life stories, and you might well say, but you don't know. You just don't know what I'm struggling with in my head at the moment. And I don't. 
I can't pretend that I do. Forgiveness is hard, and here's the reality. It's impossible. What I've just asked you to do, and asking myself to do, is impossible unless we have been forgiven by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The only reason we can forgive as Christians is because we've been forgiven. Our debt has been paid by the Lord Jesus. And so we forgive because he's changed our status. He's forgiven us. Someone once said this, you'll never be able to really forgive unless you grasp this. He knows your sins and the result of our sin and our failure and they, are, they, they demand justice, punishment, a colossal debt. Yet our God has compassion on us, gut-wrenching love for us, enough to take, pay, take the pay and pay the debt himself. Jesus bore our sins on the cross. Love and justice met. Did you forgive? Did you deserve to be forgiven? Do I deserve to be forgiven? Don't think I ever did anything that deserved to be forgiven. Did everything that deserved punishment, deserved justice, deserved God's wrath. But He had mercy on us, compassion towards us. He forgave us. And there are so many scriptures. I'll read a few of them to you. Uh, as you maybe, I don't know, some of you might feel forgiveness is something you cope with well, but others might be struggling here. I don't know. But here are some of the verses. John chapter 1 verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's just a reminder of what he's done on the cross for us. Or Hebrews chapter 10 verse 17. I will remember their sins and their lawlessness no more. I'll remember it no more. I'm getting old now. And uh, I have to say, my memory's not great. But I, and I can forget things. But that's not the same as remembering it no more. If you press the delete button on a computer, you still can't erase it all. It's somewhere on the, de on the hard disk or whatever it is that they record it in the cloud these days. But God says, I'll remember it no more. Your sin's wiped clean wiped clean same story as a, a man who owned a Rolls Royce <laughs> the new one he went on the continent and it broke down so he phones up Rolls Royce and he said I've got a new Rolls Royce and it's broken down they were sent out a vehicle picked it up he phoned when he got back to the UK how much do I owe for this uh, this uh, it's breaking down of my Rolls Royce, the best car in the world. And they simply said, we have no record anywhere of a Rolls Royce ever breaking down. <laughs> they remember no more. Our sins are gone, washed, washed away. And then Psalm 86, verse 5. O Lord, you are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all you call upon sorry who call upon you or Micah chapter 7 verses 18 and 19 who is a God like you pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression 
He casts all our sins into the depths of the sea. Where have our sins gone? The depths of the sea. And someone said, there's a big sign on there, no fishing. Or Romans chapter 8 verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Or Isaiah chapter 53 verse 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called children of God. He's forgiven you. Do you forgive? Can you forgive? Are you ready to give? Well, we must forgive from the heart. You see, because what is actually happening is something's happening inside you because your heart is forgiving, your head is forgiven, your thoughts are setting you free from being burdened with being held all this time by someone else's sin and failure that's caused you guilt and problems and difficulties. And it's uh, restoring relationships outside. So, I need to finish soon. There's a part two on this, but... <laughs> Maybe if ever I come when you, and your new pastor's away, then uh, I can do part two. But here's a few things to finish off. You might have said, I, can I forgive? I can forgive, but I can't forget. That's not forgiveness. You're waiting for trouble on the other person, basically. Even in danger of wanting vengeance. No active revenge is vengeance. You won't pay the inward price and the painful price to forgive fully. Or forgive never. Forgiveness is hard. It has to start with your head and work its way slowly, maybe over years, to your healing heart and relationships being restored. I will forgive, but not. But I, but don't forget. You owe. Basically, we say you owe me one. I will forgive you, but don't forget you owe me one. I've forgiven you, but I'm actually overlooking what you've done. But really, I'm asking you to bow and scrape before me. It's basically revenge, short and simple. I will forgive, but don't forget I know where you live. <laughs> you owe me one. Ignoring justice, or forgiveness can't ignore justice. It is to be where love and mercy come together. Do everything out of love, we've been told. And then, I can't forgive. It's like giving free license to hurting others. How can we argue that that's forgiveness? We need repentance for having such hard thoughts and we need to bring repentance to others and sometimes that's through love rather than through vengeance and then I can't forgive you if you've not asked me forgiveness well that's part two <laughs> but it's an interesting passage if you want to look at it later Mark chapter 11 and verse 25 gives a different story but I'll save that for again sometime so the challenge for you and for me is 
What about forgiveness? Can you forgive? It's interesting that Putin was asked that question, as I said. He says, I can forgive, but not everything. It's quite interesting that the one thing he wouldn't forgive is anyone being a traitor. <laughs> and we've seen recent evidence of that when a cry, an aeroplane comes screaming out the sky and all the people in the aeroplane die. I can forgive, but not everything. In fact, not traitors. It's interesting, isn't it? Because that's just exactly what happened to Joseph. His brothers were traitors to him, but he forgave them. But that's for another time and another place. My question to you and to myself is this. Are you ready to forgive? Are you ready to forgive? Because you've been forgiven such a colossal amount, so have I, because Jesus died on the cross for us. And that readiness to forgive sets us free from being shackled by the... Uh, the desire to hold this unforgiveness in our hearts. Jesus doesn't want that for you. He wants you to be free, free to love, free to care, free to serve, free to give yourself as he did for other people.